I am uh, uh, Jeff Nyquist. This is the Strategic uh, Crisis Podcast for the week of April 13th, 2010. And uh, with me is uh, uh, two friends, uh, former Ukrainian, former Soviet citizens, uh, Alex and uh, Serge. Uh, Alex and Serge, welcome to the show. Hi, Jeff. Yeah. Hello, Alex. Jeff. Hey. And uh, we we are now uh, broadcasting um, three days after the tragic crash of uh, Polish aircraft carrying the president of Poland and 93 other people, many of them prominent activists, anti-communist conservatives, uh, generals, uh, heads of the Historical Center for Remembrance there in Poland, and um, and of course they were traveling to Russia to go to the location of the Katyn Forest Massacre where Stalin ordered the executions of 22,000 Polish military officers in 1940. And I just, uh, I just w- w- thought it would be useful to kind of discuss the tragedy in the light of the politics of Ukraine, Russia, and uh, Poland. The reaction, I had a, a long conversation Saturday with uh, Tomek Pompowski, uh, my Polish journalist friend who I've interviewed, uh, has been on my radio show here recently, and uh, he was very stricken, I can just say, very stricken because he personally knew many people on this plane, and um, and of course uh, it's, it's a loss, it's a blow, and uh, you know, I... I you know, his reaction, I, I thought, you know, all these anti-communists, all these fighters, like uh, like Anna Volantinovich uh, killed people who had been going all the way back to 1980 to the Gdansk shipyard strike, who'd been a thorn in the side of the communist bloc of Moscow, of the KGB, and now they're all dead. And, uh, you know, he he said to me, he said, you know, Maybe it's just me, but I have a hard time believing it was an accident. And I think that those of us that are suspicious of the Kremlin, we're suspicious of Russia, we're suspicious of its policies, aims, and objectives. We see them as a kind of enemy, not because we want to be enemies with them, but because we see in their in their actions a kind of ongoing enmity consistent with the Cold War, consistent with, with you know, keeping Ukraine and Poland in their grip and tr- continuing to move towards wanting to dominate Europe in some kind of partnership with Germany and, and to undermine the United States as recently happened with this revolution in Kyrgyzstan and the threat to the U.S. air base that supplies Afghanistan. You know, very deceptive, uh, you know, Kremlin policies that are on the one hand pretend to be friendly to America and on the other hand are, are, are breaking American power uh, through the back door. And, and I I wonder what your feelings are. I'm going to ask Alex first. Alex, you, you've worked in aviation. You worked in the Soviet Air Force, was it? Yes, yes. Many years ago, I served in the Soviet Air Forces. And, of course, uh, before the podcast here, you were telling me kind of about the, the kind of mayhem that can go on in, in Soviet aviation. Um, do, what do we know? Uh, what have you found out, learned about the details of the crash? I have a report on it here. But I wondered if uh, what what version you've heard and whether the version has changed. I understand the stories about the crash have changed at least more than once. Well, uh, when I've heard about the crash, I got a very strange feeling. My first thought was was 
that finally this happened because it was something that should have happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe That's my ex- first maybe, thought. Maybe you could explain that. Why would the crash of so many Polish... Why would I expect something like this to happen? Because yeah. Lech Kaczynski and all his company on the airplane are famous. All those people were famous... Uh, uh, famous uh, uh, by the uh, position, the political position against uh, people who are now running in Kremlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, well, we know how what Putin does to his enemies. Actually, yeah, we like, know like, several like, cases like, that are proven. Yeah, like Anna Politkovskaya and Alexander Litvinenko, and then we have the case of uh, pres- former President Yushchenko of Ukraine. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So something like that should have happened. Yet uh, Putin himself behaved during last two, maybe three weeks, behaved very strangely. All of a sudden he became smooth and nice toward Poles, unexpectedly. He started talking about about friendship and brotherhood with Poles, it was it was very strange. And you know, if you if you ever happen to read uh, Russian history, history yet before Russian Empire uh, from Middle Ages, uh, it's very common. It was very common story when two two neighboring kings A and B uh, would be an, uh, would would have an argument. Then it was very common. Say King A would say would say to King B, "Okay, I surrender. I love you. Please come to me for the party, and we will sign up agreement, and we will be friends." So King B believes to King A, and goes to him. And on the way, something happens to him, and nobody sees him anymore. It was pretty common in the uh, Russian history. I just cannot recall those in particular stories, but uh, I think if you read Russian history, you will have a lot of stories like that. And what happened now with the Polish delegation, it looked it looked pretty much like that story again. Well, we have a story Poles, like that. We have a story like Poles. that in the, in the English language. It's the story of Macbeth. Yes, by the way, yes. Poles were allured to to go to Russia because Putin told them that we, are, we will be friends. And on the way, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it is It is very... And you know, one of the things that struck me right away was the fact that now Putin is taking charge of the investigation. Like, since when did this former KGB officer and Russian Prime Minister, former president, suddenly become an air crash investigator? What does he know about it? You know, I know, I know one thing. Whenever people like him become uh, investigators, it means the case will never be investigated. <laughs> he knows exactly how to hide things. But then you know what? We will still be guessing whether he was hiding things because he wanted to hide his plot, details of his plot, or maybe he wanted to hide uh, general condition of the aviation in Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. general mess, and yeah. we will be always guessing about it, what's the purpose of his masquerade? Now, it, it is possible, of course, that 
the Polish president was coming, and this is something that's crossed my mind. He was coming to this event, event at Katyn. The Russians were being really nice, but they wanted to sort of have the event with the prime minister who they like, uh, Prime Minister Tusk of Poland. And, and, and the president of Poland was somebody that they, I think that they didn't, they didn't really like. And so he wanted to come, and he had his own speech that he wanted to give. I'm going to ask Serge about that speech later because Serge has studied the, the speech that was going to be given at Katyn by President Kaczynski. Um, and, and so uh, they kind of, they were, there was this thing going on where uh, we don't want you to land. There's weather conditions. We don't want you to land at this airport or that airport. And, um, and of course, uh, the plane attempted to land in, in kind of uh, bad visibility conditions at the Smolensk, uh, I guess it's an older military airfield. And then, I guess, supposedly, the wing of the airplane hit some kind of uh, uh, a marker or tower or radar thing. And went, and then the wind, wing was sheared off and the plane just went straight down into the trees and everybody was killed. Um, whether or not the Russians playing games with where these people could land or not caused and contributed in some way to the crash. Well, if this is a question, I would rather answer it positively because if Russians were indeed welcoming all the way welcoming that plane, mm -hmm. it would be more like, much more likely to land safely. It would, uh, it, it would not, uh, I'm pretty sure when pilots started to feel uh, strange behavior from Russian side, they probably, it probably added up some strain to them. Sure, they became nervous that's, about that. Yes, sure. yes, sure. yes. And that's with bad visibility, yet they hear strange commands from uh, the control tower. And uh, then uh, they act uh, the way how they think they're supposed to, but it's not necessarily not necessarily con it's not necessarily well uh, it's not necessarily that they were taking the best decisions in those conditions. You also have an event that's this event, as sort of commemorating the Cat and Forest massacre, is very embarrassing to the to the Russian state. Vladimir Putin has said publicly that the fall of the Soviet Union was a, the great tragedy of the 20th century and that he regards the Russian Federation as a kind of continuation of the Soviet state. So this is, despite his friendly behavior of recent to Poland, is almost like you say, like these two kings, and oh, I love you now, and here something happens. Uh, it is very strange behavior from Putin. Um, but you, you you have this event, it's very embarrassing, and suddenly you have this airplane crash that really steals the headlines. Nobody is talking about Katyn or Soviet guilt. They're talking about the tragic accident of the plane. So it's almost like the attention is taken off on the 70th anniversary. And, a, and another point, another 70th anniversary that was celebrated last September in a very odd way, was the 70th anniversary of the Soviet invasion of Poland on September 17th, in which the President of the United States, Barack Obama, officially announced that we were, we were pulling out of the missile defense uh, uh, system that was to be built in Poland, and which had to be an yeah. enormous disappointment to President Kaczynski and others in the country that had worked hard to set up this initiative. 
and was something that the Russians had desperately wanted. I mean, you, you couldn't have picked, I, and I know uh, Polish friends I talked to said, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's not, you know, when no. I asked Tomic about it, he said, oh, no, it's just a coincidence. You know what, I don't believe out of 365 days of the year, they picked the one day of the year that, that basically marks the worst. Soviet invasion of Poland. And, and this was a blow to Poland on the 17th, 70th year anniversary of the Soviet invasion, and now around the Soviet uh, 70th anniversary of the killing of the Polish 22,000 Polish military officers, you have the decapitation of Poland, the head of uh, state killed, generals killed, top anti-communists killed. It's almost like a replay of the same thing. And, and between uh, last September and now, you had this military exercise, I believe in November, where the the Russians simulated an invasion of Poland as a military exercise. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what was that about? And and how does this, I mean, this is a, like a symbolic sort of threat or hostile action. There, nothing hostile is said. The hostility exists in the signaling of these these maneuvers. Um... So, anyway, that's that's sort of my. That was a little thought. moment of si silence to commemorate. It's, 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 it's just, yeah, that's sort of my thought. But but, Serge, maybe you can tell us a little about the speech that the president of uh, yes. Poland was going to give at Katyn had he not crashed and died. Yes, um, the the speech was published afterwards, after the fact of this tragic, absolutely awful, awful thing that happened to the leadership of Third Polish Republic and um, it's a short thing it's um, it basically a very short uh, piece of um, and th this is what uh, President Kaczynski was supposed to say there uh, he mentioned that in 1940 21 at least 21,000 we're not sure about the exact figure, 21,000 Polish officers and POWs were, were murdered in, in the place uh, in, in Katyn. Uh, they, it took, I, I understand that it took NKVD about a month to finish them all. So it was a constant shooting and murder going on there. And uh, President Kaczynski also wanted to say that it all began on the, like you just said, Jeff, on the 17th of September 1939, when Soviet Union occupied part of Poland, along with the Nazi Germany that took another part under their control, military control, violent military control, murdering Polish people from both sides. So he mentions those facts, and uh, and then he goes that those are the most tragic parts in Polish history, and that that period is something that is still a a big obstacle uh, between two nations, Russian and Polish nation, and that both nations 
wanted to be friendly to each other, but this has to be somehow resolved. And in words of deceased President Lev Kaczynski, the best way would be openness, that everything that we know about it should be found out, the documents from the Soviet archives should be published, how it was planned, who and why planned this mass murder of Polish officers, the names should be named, and this is the only way to overcome this. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, and this this is how Lech Kaczynski, deceased president of Poland, wanted this to happen when he was still alive. And he says that otherwise, that Russia and Poland doesn't really have to be enemies, and uh, that uh, a lot of happened in a positive direction in between the countries of Russia and Poland. And that this issue of Katyn massacre, of Katyn genocidal murder of 21,000 Polish POW, Polish officers, should be resolved through openness and open and clear investigation. And by the way, so, I would I would insert that we would like to have that with that air crash too. Absolutely, absolutely. It is also the the this tragic event, this absolutely unpredictable something that nobody expected to happen. Of course, uh, this is this is also is called lately as Katyn 2 which is which is exactly the opposite to what President Lech Kaczynski wanted to happen he wanted to this thing to never happen again and he was going there maybe taking a big risk because as you just said the current Russian government is not that friendly to Poland so in, in fact, you could consider it a neo-Soviet government that that kind of looks to Stalin in a positive way. And, uh, you know, we should be reminded that the victims of Cat and Forest weren't just military officers, but there were also uh, Polish landowners, lawmakers, professors, doctors, and people that would be considered by communists as right-wing leaders of the community, people who were anti-communist, basically, in their general orientation, that they yeah. wanted to destroy the cream of Poland's anti-communist strata. A, a normal society, a good cohesive society, contains this strata of a sort of natural leadership that is not by nature communist. Communists are sort of anti-leaders. And the Bolshevik leaders found that if they wanted to communize Eastern Poland, they would have to get rid of these people. And I think that if, if the Kremlin wants a kind of reconciliation with Poland that sort of eliminates the strata again, the top political strata in Poland that has opposed Russia, like the names of so many of the people on this airplane. And whether it was an accident or not... Um, 
this the Kremlin cannot be secretly unhappy about the deaths of these people. Yes, you're absolutely right. It this was Polish officers, policemen, uh, a lot of a lot of people. Uh, not 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 just the officers. That is absolutely true. Yeah, and, the uh, Smolensk slaughterhouse of Catton Forest is once again a slaughterhouse. That is correct. That is correct. Yes, and um, I had a very, very strange, personal, almost metaphysical experience on the day when when this happened. Um, I was visiting Washington D.C. for a premiere of a documentary presented by uh, Newt Gingrich Production, in which our dear Polish friend Tomek Pompowski was involved. He was there also. He invited me to go. And uh, the the film is called Nine Days That Changed the World, and this is about the uh, exclusive role of um, Pope John Paul II, uh, who was of Polish extraction, uh, of Polish origin, who was so uh, vocal and so helpful in the early uh, and middle and late 80s in, uh, to the Polish state that was struggling against communism then. The name of Pope Paul John John Paul II is associated with the Solidarity Movement that at some point uh, reached uh, over 10 million people in Poland. It was a trade union that became a um, powerful powerful force that uh, led to the uh, abolition of communism in Poland. So uh, this film was was very interesting, very spiritual, very positive film that um, that was absolutely unexpected. And, and when, by the way, you mentioned the name of Anna Valentinovich, a Polish lady uh, who was 90 years old when she was on the uh, this plane to hell when the Polish government uh, perished. So, she was interviewed for this film, Nine Danes That Changed the World. And I remember seeing her on the screen along with other uh, people who par participated in the, in the 80s in, uh, in the struggle for freedom in Poland. And later I learned from Tomek Pompowski that uh, at least two or maybe more people who inter were interviewed for this film died in this plane crash. It is very, very strange to say that this tragic event happened in five hours after this film was demonstrated in Washington, D.C. for the yeah, first this time. Was the, this was the premiere of this documentary in Washington. That is correct. And it, was, was Newt Gingrich there personally at the screening? Yes. As a matter of fact, he uh, introduced this film to the audience. He um, uh, took a stand and uh, gave a little speech. Um, yes, he was there. There were a and, lot of people there. And I, I wonder how many of these people understood that the freedom of Poland was very contingent, that it was, that it was equivocal, that the freedom gained from the fall of the communists 
in Poland was equivocal because communist structures, Soviet structures, secret police structures remained behind to navigate and to manipulate the country. Well, Jeff, this this is this is really very strange because uh, when I was talking to Tomek Pompowski and his uh, American friends there, that is that was basically what I was trying to communicate uh, to them: uh, the fact that uh, the freedom fight is never over, the evil doesn't disappear. It may change its form, it may call itself by different names, but if you have a neighboring country that is a nu largest nuclear power on Earth, that uh, just last November conducts the military maneuvers that is uh, staged in a way that Russian military has this nuclear attack on Poland, that was how the military exercise was run. The, the, this, this is really something to think about, and not just for Polish citizens or Ukrainian citizens neighboring Russia, but also for Americans, because mm -hmm. United, United States is in fact separated by the ocean from Europe, but after the ballistic missiles were invented and perfected to modern level, this ocean separation doesn't really mean that we are protected here in any yes. way. Yes, good point. Uh, Alex, do you have any comments to make on this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm reading all the time various news reports and I see that, I see that they're hiding something. They're hiding details, they're trying to hide them beyond the curtain of uh, of fake news, of uh, fake, uh, uh, of, of manipulation with facts, and uh, the, 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 more, the more I listen to the news, the less I trust to what they're telling us, and the more I understand that if they actually really wanted to set up something like a plot, they really did not need much effort for this event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just cannot understand how those people, as Sergei characterizes them as, a, and you also characterize them as a, a old anti-communists who who know what the system is, how could they trust them so much to go to the one plane altogether? Yeah, why, it was... Uh, why couldn't they split apart, let some fly with plane, let others travel by cars, somebody by train, somebody just by regular planes? Well, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that the originally it was planned to fly onto airplanes, but something happened to the other one? Oh, well, we don't know. It's something that uh, I believe will be published uh, sooner or later. But still, it's, um, well, it's rather questionable if it is a good idea to travel to the country, to take all the ruling uh, government, including top strategists, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of National Security, everybody, to take them all to the country that just, well, 
Less yeah, than at all, at all. Just one person is enough. One representative is enough for such event. Yes, of course. And, and I mean, you to the con. Uh, let, let, let me finish because I think this is the point that we really have to repeat. And they go to the country that less than a year ago conducts military exercise um, that it, that is a staged occupation of Poland, including usage of a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. This, this is rather serious stuff. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, that is a good point, because if you have this thing where Russia has pressured the United States not to allow Poland to get this missile defense, you've experienced a defeat there, you show good sportsmanship, you've got this prime minister that just seems to like the Russians and take nothing amiss, and the, you don't really see this uh, very big uh, you know, complaint... And then you have this military exercise, and now you have this. It's almost like now you wonder if they're going to be, uh, they're just going to lie down for anything. And uh, you uh, had um, read to me earlier today, Serge, a quote from Antony Mazarevich, who is a Polish politician who is very famous for being involved in uh, outing uh, Russian spies that were using Polish military intelligence to manipulate Polish political parties uh, before 2007, uh, outing them, and then using it to get enough power within the defense ministry to publish, to translate and publish Anatoly Galitsyn's New Lies for Old in Polish. Mm-hmm. And he, Anton Mazarevich, wrote an introduction to Galitsyn uh, for this, in which he said that if Poland wants to be free from Russian domination, we must read Galitsyn. And and you, what's interesting is you pointed out to me that Mazarevich, uh, well, f- well, first of all, Mazarevich made an interesting statement about only in Russia, only flying to Russia could this accident have happened to these leaders. But also Galitsyn himself says, warns, if you are opposed to Russia, you must not go there or expose yourself to assassination. Yes. By the by, the KGB, and he, let me, he writes let me specifically. Quote. Yeah, yeah. If 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 I may, uh, this is this is the quote from Anatoly Galitsyn, "New Lights for Old." I, I'll quote in English, but it is also translated by the uh, Anthony Mazarevich. Uh, uh, I understand that it was his project when he was a chief of Polish counterintelligence or military intelligence. And they translated and published this book and made it a first book in the library of Polish counterintelligence, the series that I believe they they were publishing. So this is the quote. If a Western leader became a serious obstacle to communist strategy and to the strategic disinformation program, he would be quietly poisoned at a summit meeting, during negotiations, or while visiting a communist country since detente provides such opportunities in abundance. The practical lesson here is that a Western leader who is involved in furthering an effective counter-strategy against the communists should not visit communist countries or take part in any summit meetings with their leaders. The technique for a poisoning was described in a statement made by a KGB general, Zhelezniakov, at an operational briefing devoted to an assassination proposal against Tito, who was a president of Yugoslavia then, in 1953 in Moscow. Zhelezniakov stated 
that the major requirement for success is mere physical contact with the target, as the Soviet services has technical means, special poisons, to inflict mortal diseases without leaving traces of poison, so the death will be attributed to natural causes. So we see very specific, very specific um, principle that could be used against a Western politician who is considered by, who was considered or still is considered by Soviets or whatever they call themselves themselves now to be a serious obstacle to the communist policy. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the uh, deceased po Polish politicians didn't read carefully Galitsyn. No. And fortunately, Mr. Masarevich didn't board that plane. Yes, Mr. Masarevich remains behind in Poland. Um, he is, uh, I believe he's a member of parliament. I think yes, that's he is, what he is now. Um, but uh, it's so, you know, not everybody was killed of, of political significance in the country, but it's it, imagine how long it took Poland, given that the changes in Eastern Europe were de deceptive, and that the Russians wanted to foist their own candidates on uh, Poland, and successfully did for many years. Um, that the, you had this strong anti-communist president Kaczynski, who had achieved, who people like Mazarevich were able to achieve things, um, like getting Galitzin published in in Polish. Um, this this is something that I I don't think Moscow could ever forgive Kaczynski for. Well, yeah, and bes besides just publishing this book, they also uh, they also uh, the, what what Polish government did in two thousand six two thousand seven they undertook lustration uh, procedures in order to clean the uh, important government bodies of a former KGB and. Uh, Soviet agents, and specifically they um, just closed, demolished, completely abandoned the old structure of a Polish military counterintelligence, firing everybody, and recreated it from scratch. It created a big controversy in Polish political uh, society in, 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 in Poland, and uh, it's very interesting that uh, the person who, by the way, also didn't uh, didn't board that plane and survived, of course, who is a uh, state secretary, a foreign minister of Poland, Mr. Sikorsky. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, he was. It is also the significant that the, that the prime minister of the country wasn't on the plane. Right, right, because he visited the uh, the Katyn, uh, He visited Katyn, uh several days before before mm -hmm. this tragic event occurred. Yes, and uh, um, Foreign Secretary Sikorsky in 2007 uh, was strongly against illustration, and even uh, I understand that he even resigned from the post that he was occupying then, uh, as uh, in disagreement with the policy of dismantling the um, written by the KGB Polish counterintelligence apparatus, mm -hmm. which is also a very interesting thing to know about Polish politics. The events yeah. like this basically show us better who is who in Polish politics. Because yes. judged by, not by words, but by deeds. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, it's um, it, the repercussions of this uh, are astonishing. Now, now let's uh, turn to Ukraine, uh, and you guys are are close to Ukrainian events. Um, Alex, what do we, we we recently had this election in Ukraine where Yanukovych beat Yushchenko, Yushchenko who'd been poisoned, whose poisoners ran to Moscow and are sheltered in Moscow, who who knows from first-hand experience the way that the Kremlin operates. What do you think is going through the minds of people in Ukraine? Do you think the Ukrainians are like the Poles and saying, oh no, it was an accident? Do you think a lot of Ukrainians think that this was you know, suspect strongly in, in, in that it was uh, the work of, of the Russian special services? I think most people don't want to think about it. I think they just prefer to not to remember about it. Hmm. The only, so the only thing that makes them to remember is when they see face of Yushchenko eaten by that poison. Well, I guess I guess uh, Yushchenko did uh, Yushchenko is a type of person who was unable to create much of propaganda of his case, and he was he behaved like a humble person about with it. Mm-hmm. He seldom spoke about it himself. So, um, unlike his enemies, who would always uh, create hundreds of reasons why he had that on those things on his face, uh, mm-hmm. if to think about him, and also they, I think they put a lot of efforts, a lot of money to discredit him in all possible ways. Uh, so he had no chances to win on the recent elections. I believe I believe Moscow was putting well, Moscow made the choice on uh, Timoshenko, mm-hmm. and I believed in that so strongly that you probably wouldn't believe, but uh, to me, but <laughs> at the last uh, tour of voting, I went and voted for Yanukovych deliberately because uh, voting for Timoshenko would be a terrible disaster. Yanukovych is just a gangster from, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, from just like a street gangster, but mm. he's not enemy of people. But he, he, Timoshenko probably yeah. is Tim, Timoshenko enemy of people. Timoshenko does seem to be uh, a lapdog of the Kremlin, doesn't she? Yes, yes, well, yes, yes. And as far as Yanukovych being against, so we we should we should we should um, specify that supposedly, allegedly, he had this criminal past when he was a young man. But of course, not for for the last twenty or thirty or even more years. Right. Well, what, and what, of uh, course, we don't know the details what happened when he was young. We don't know the mm-hmm. details of his yes. story. Of and it could be very much that it is another disinformation campaign. Because mm-hmm. it yes. against us. That, that the Kremlin all the time was angling to get uh, Timoshenko into the, the position that they... Well, after all, she's been prime minister through much of... Not all the time, but through much of the presidency of Yushchenko. And, um, you know, what's interesting, what you just said, Alex, is that they tried to kill Yushchenko. 
They failed to kill him, but so then the campaign, they threw all, everything at Yushchenko to discredit him, to make him seem weak and ineffective, and to make the Ukrainian people turn their back on him. Um, yes. It's interesting that if, if you, they can't kill somebody in one way, they have the machinery and the wherewithal with their control of state media. I mean, the influence of the Russian, the Russian influence over both the Polish state media and the media in Ukraine is 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 remarkable to this day. Let me uh, let me add one one more thing here is that after what happened, after this tragic, absolutely incomprehensible thing that happened to the Polish government, uh, the what I felt about Yushchenko uh, is that now I think I understand better why his policy wasn't that of a radical change of Ukraine to the West, because in fact it's practically impossible to do anything serious that Russia would consider to be uh, not wishful for Russian policy. And if we may assume that Russia was somehow involved in what happened to Polish government, and we may assume, and we have enough reasons to assume, because the people who are suspects in Yushchenko poisoning case, they all fled to Moscow, and supposedly one of them is now a top advisor to KGB chief in, uh, yeah. in Russia. So now we it's kind of... It is much more clear to me why uh, policy of uh, President Yushchenko wasn't that radical, so to speak, uh, pro-West. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he most likely realized that it's, it's he's not gonna be well, alive. And, and, and therefore, the value of emphasizing in Ukraine the atrocity of the Ukraine terror famine by Stalin. And by emphasizing in Poland the tragedy of the Cat and Forest Massacre, which kind of brings home to the people of those countries, hey, look, look at what the Russians did to us, look at what the Kremlin did to us. Um, that's almost sort of the best that they could do is their policy of saying, hey, you know, we can't directly oppose the Kremlin, but we can talk about what they've done in the past. Yeah, that's a very good point, Jeff. This is absolutely, and the, and it's interesting that um, one of the, in my view, and um, possibly that's the fact, one of the largest accomplishments of Yushchenko policy was to revive the memory of people perished in a, a Stalin and Soviet Union organized famine in Ukraine in 1932-1933, when uh, at least seven million, or maybe as much as 10 or more million people died out of starvation. Only in 2009, when under the supervision of President Yushchenko, the investigation of this absolutely catastrophic genocidal famine was uh, started and conducted, only in 2009 there were 4,000 or even more mass graves discovered on Ukrainian territory. Hmm. 4,000 mass graves. And of course they couldn't dig everywhere. Imagine how... how I mean, th this is completely incomprehensible. So 
President Yushchenko made a big effort in order to commemorate people perished in that, in order to educate Ukrainians and the world on this event. And he reached as far as Fox News Channel in United States, and uh, where uh, the one of the one of the talking heads of Fox News Channel, Glenn Beck, actually um, originated and successfully conducted the project of a, another documentary called Revolutionary Holocaust. And in this documentary, President Yushchenko explains, uh, he was interviewed and explains how this thing happened in Ukraine, this, this absolutely incomprehensible genocidal famine. And the American public was also educated by the effort of President Yushchenko and the, the so much needed help from Fox News and Glenn Beck. Yeah, and of course the education, for in exchange for that educational mission, the Russians reacted so ho with such hostility to Yushchenko that Russia withdrew its ambassador from Kiev, saying, we're not going to have an ambassador in Kiev as long as Yushchenko remains president and head of state. Right, right. Well, see, this is another thing. Of course President Kaczynski realized what is going on in Ukraine. Of course, he realized what kind of a of um, what kind of reaction Russian government may have on his uh, effort to commemorate Katyn. But on the other hand, uh, President Kaczynski, as far as we know, was traveling to commemorate uh, the victims. This tens of thousands of people perished in Katyn, yeah. Polish there, citizens. Uh, he was doing. Yeah, go ahead. I just I just wanted to say that that President Kaczynski, on a regular basis, every year for a number of years, as a private person, was visiting Katyn on the on this in in April, every April, I believe, in the beginning of April, when when in 1940 this this massacre uh, began. Um, I should say at the end of the speech that President Kaczynski was going to deliver at Katyn this year, last Saturday, um, he made a, an interesting. He, he used an interesting phrase. Oh that, yeah, this uh, is this is very touches, interesting. Touches on Ukrainian resistance to the Soviet Union and and on Polish resistance to communism. But perhaps you could explain it, Serge, to the listeners. Yes, uh, the the speech ends with with the words that in English sound like glory to heroes, and this is this is uh, this is like a, a a greeting, like a slogan that Ukrainian insurgent army, Ukrainian resistance used to greet each other. So every Ukrainian who reads it realizes what President Kaczynski means. He means the people who lost their lives in the struggle against genocidal communism. Th this, this absolutely bloody Soviet regime that took lives of tens of millions. Well, we, we may say that at least half of population of Ukraine was destroyed during the, the 1970 to 1955 period of the most bloody period of the Soviet history. And, well, Poland suffered not in the same absolutely catastrophic way in, the, in, the, in those years. So President Kaczynski ends his speech with, the, with these words, glory to the heroes. 
So, mm, in some way, we may say that after the controversy steered up by by the KGB disinformators in Ukraine on the issue of uh, Stepan Bandera, who was one of the most uh, respected respected leaders of the uh, of the Ukrainian resistance mo- to communism movement so the the issue was that president yushchenko uh, uh, in 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 the, in the last weeks of his uh, presidency he uh, commemorated stepan bandera by uh, giving him the top uh, the top um, how would you say award award, award yes the top award of the state top state glory top state award yes he he named him a hero of ukraine it's an official status that is given to some somebody who contributed uh, quite considerably to the um, uh, state of ukraine so stepan bandera was awarded with the with his status and uh, immediately immediately in in so many news outlets mostly in some way connected to the Russian government, they they started a smear campaign against President Yushchenko on this issue, against the deceased Stepan Bandera. And it was also a very interesting angle shown. Supposedly that Polish government didn't like the fact that Bandera was commemorated and awarded the the status of the hero of Ukraine, which was not the fact. And by by saying these words, by actually not saying, but planning to say these words, writing it's in his speech, President Kaczynski uh, delivered this message to every Ukrainian that we are brothers, this is not an issue between us, of course I'm on your side, I, I was always on the side of Ukrainian insurgent army, and this is how I prove it, glory to your heroes, glory mm. to our heroes, mm. this is what he said. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's unmistakable. And uh, I guess on the uh, Ukrainian Internet, people who uh, read, had a chance to read what President Kaczynski was going to deliver at Katyn had the reaction of, well, now we know why the KGB wanted to kill him. Because he was saying, he was using these code words, he was saying these kinds of things. Uh, He was signaling to us that we all know who the the enemy is. We know who the threat is. and and of course, uh, it's a it's a terrible enemy. It's a terrible threat that uh, so many in Poland and Ukraine have lost their lives to these tyrants in the Kremlin. Yes, that is correct. Well, see, Jeff, if we if we assume that what the current rulers of Russia are doing, and if that is unfortunately, if that that's is if our assessment is right they are turning back to stalinism yeah. with all the military rhetorics that we hear on russian television and read well, on and, and, and and this is not a surprise because i will remind my listeners because i've been following russia closely for years that when putin was first prime minister in december of 1999 he spoke at the anniversary of the founding of the cheka by felix Drzinski. And he addressed the assembled intelligence uh, secret police officers as comrades. And he said, quote, unquote, mission accomplished. That is, here I am. And that was days before Boris Yeltsin named 
Putin as his successor as president of Russia. And then, when he was inaugurated, I think in May of 2000, to be president, um, Putin, at his inauguration celebration, there was a toast toasting of Stalin at this celebration. And that on May 10th of that year, Putin made a number of, of orders changing the way things worked in the provinces of the former Soviet Union that were identical to an order that Stalin gave exactly on May 10th in 1941. And then on June 22nd, 2000, Putin gave a speech in which he said in this speech, uh, commemorating the anniversary of uh, Hitler's attack on the Soviet Union, that the enemy was still present, that the threat of it happening again to Russia was still there, and that Russians needed to understand. I mean, nothing could be more Stalinistic than to, to celebrate these important days by mimicking Stalin by claiming that the fascist enemy in Europe still exists. Well, this, 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 this is very significant. And on top of that, we should not be forgetting that, the, uh, that, that Russia still possesses the largest, uh, the largest number of weapons of mass destruction, the largest volume of it, including biological, including anthrax, including plague, including all the still unknown to general public biological agents that can kill people in hundreds of millions, including the n nuclear weapons of fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And, well, God knows what else. I mean, Russians, uh, well, Russians, so the, the ex-Soviet, whatever they, they are, of course we never identified the ruling uh, communist and KGB elite in Russia with the Russian people, because Russian people is suffering probably more, more than anyone else, and lost probably, well, with Ukrainian people, the, lost the most most of its population. Yeah, it, but, I, I well, should tell the 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 uh, listeners that one pound of anthrax can kill a million people, of weapons grade Soviet made anthrax can kill a million, if you aerosolize it, if you put it in an aerosol form. Soviet Union has produced and stockpiled dozens and dozens of tons of anthrax, weapons grade, that if uh, seeded in cold air masses entering North America from Alaska and Canada, could kill up to a third of the population of the United States between the Rocky Mountains and the eastern seaboard. Yes, that is Extremely correct. devastating, and by the way, an extremely inexpensive weapon, costing almost nothing. To kill people well, compared to nuclear weapons, it's 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 is as cheap as dirt. Let, let me let me let me scare you even more. Uh, it, that well, it, today we will heard that this conference in Washington D.C. Um, is happening on the on the um, proliferation of nuclear weapons, hmm. and it is it is interesting that these heads of state, in my opinion, completely. Uh, dishonestly disinformate the public on the issue of so-called nuclear terrorism. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, uh, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely wrong to assume that nuclear bomb can be stolen because the nuclear weapon is something that only very 
sophisticated governments, uh, government scientists can develop. And only a few governments actually developed it. And of yeah. course, if you develop something like that, you develop a very, very effective and strict method of protecting it from, from being activated by anybody who is not a top of the government. That's right. They have, they have special codes that lock the warheads. And that if you right. don't enter the warhead code properly, the warhead will be dumped and will not be effective as a weapon. And a lot of people don't know this. It's true. Uh, you know, Colonel Lunev told me some years ago that there were two men in the Soviet military that created the codes for the Soviet nuclear warheads. And one of them had died and the other one lives in a luxury apartment virtually imprisoned in the GRU headquarters. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide every luxury for him, but he cannot leave. Well, it's it's also I I would say that of course nobody knows how the system, how how this governmental system of procedures work to activate it. But let me assure you, if if somebody created this thing, they probably created much in a much better way the way to uh, protect it from being activated by by their sure. enemies. Sure. This it's whole common thing. sense. Yeah. Um, Alex, I wondered um, what you heard. We, recently, we had the events in Kyrgyzstan. We had the the Black Widow bombings in the Moscow subway. Uh, what do you have any thoughts or comments about these events? You know, whenever you, whenever you speak about bombing in Moscow subway. I would always refer to the very first bombing in Moscow subways that happened in the year 1977 years. Mm -hmm. When Soviet regime was very strong, that was the very first bombing, a series of bombs exploded at that year in the Moscow subway. And KGB suspiciously fast found, appointed bunch of people guilty who were actual dissidents from, I guess, from Armenia. And uh, people were executed very fast. They were treated with uh, uh, secret court, a closed court. Nobody was allowed to be present at the court. I don't know how you call that. And then people were executed. And uh, at that time, yet there were gossips that they planted those, KGB planted those bombs themselves just to arrest those people whom they wanted to arrest. Mm -hmm. So, whenever... Well, of course, now they always refer to Muslim terrorism, but, you know, it's very hard to believe to them, because unless they present a real, a real evidence of this, they're saying about two women who supposedly committed suicide attack, but, well... I would probably believe that bombs exploded somewhere close to those women who were wearing Muslim clothes, mm -hmm. but not more, more than that. Because uh, to commit a suicidal... There is no evidence that they were deliberately co committing suicidal attack. They, they could even be carrying bombs in their, um, in their backpacks Back. without knowing it. You know, I can imagine situations that some, my best friend would come to me, listen, would you please help me deliver this bag to my brother who will meet you at the subway station, like, 
at uh, this or some other subway station. It's still on your way. Would you please help me to deliver it? I have no time. Yeah, sure. And I would be carrying that backpack, and then uh, if it explodes, uh, they would say that I was committing suicidal attack. That's how it is. So I, I can I cannot believe this when they say like so easily. Uh, that's, you know, that's what about Kyrgyzstan is it, yeah. it's also strange events it's about Kyrgyzstan different kind of events uh, they had a revolution which uh, looked to me similar to Orange Revolution but then it looks like the new leader made probably he made he must have made a bunch of mistakes which Yushchenko did not make so Yushchenko yeah. was able to leave uh, the presidency nicely and we being respected man and that guy was just kicked out in a similar event well apparently that event was i'm not sure if it was really planted from moscow but apparently moscow is doing uh, their best to make use of that event also yeah and of course uh, leading uh, officials in uh, Kyrgyzstan have accused Moscow of being behind it all. Uh, that has been published in press reports from there. So uh, it's, it's, it is very interesting to me. Uh, I, I also, uh, Nadia Banchik, who writes uh, occasionally for strategiccrisis.com and has been very generous with her time, she uh, sent a, a report to me that I used in a column a couple weeks ago which she had talked to a human rights worker in Germany, uh, or was it France, who had worked with uh, uh, a refugee from Russia, an Ossetian, who had been one of the hostages at Beslan. Uh, I'll remind the listeners that Beslan was where supposed Chechen terrorists took uh, a couple hundred Russian children and uh, teachers and so on hostage, and then s most of them were slaughtered. In, the, in, an, in a shootout and, and explosions that followed, um, w which, which of course led the Russian president to give a speech in which he kind of blamed the United States for the terrorism in Chechnya. Um, but not this, this Ossetian woman, before, who was one of the few survivors of Beslan, had had a long conversation with one of the terrorists, who was a woman who had been in prison and said that her jailers had offered her this deal, that if she was part of this so supposedly planned bloodless hostage-taking, uh, that the Russian authorities would pardon her, and that they would use this hostage-taking to negotiate peace in Chechnya, and that she was going to help to set that up, and that she apologized to the woman that she'd taken hostage, saying that her jailers had fooled her, that she believed that they were going to basically kill her, and that they were going to kill the hostages, as part of something else, that it was all a, a treacherous deception, and that those poor people who'd been misled into performing terrorism, sort of like actors in a stage play, were really not Chechen terrorists. They were just poor, desperate people from Soviet prison who had been tricked. I, I, I found the story uh, remarkably believable because of other things that I'd heard and, and things that had been written by Anna Polakovskia um, it's Absolutely. just the, the secret police regime, the evil methods they use include this kind of thing. There was a similar uh, story re related to the uh, Nord-Ost uh, hostage taking in Moscow in 2002 
I don't know if you recall, there was a woman who, whose daughter was one of the supposed terrorists who took hostages there. And you remember, none of the terrorists survived there. And they used gas on the, on the situation, killing a lot of the hostages. Uh, and civilians. And you know, the civilian hostages. But this woman said, well, how could my daughter be involved in this terrorism when my daughter is in prison, serving a such and such year sentence that she can't be possibly be out? How could she be one of the, you know, so this, this kind of dovetailed in my mind. I thought, wait a minute, you know, this sounds exactly like this other story. Like there's a pattern here of using women who are in jail and saying, look, we're strapping this on you. Don't ask us what it is. You know, go get on the subway and do this and then we'll let you go. And then saying, okay, you know, I just want to get out of prison. Hmm. I never made this connection. It's uh, it's quite well. It's uh, should not be neglected. It's yeah. It should be take, it, it should be considered very carefully. Yeah. For future. Well, I want to thank you, Serge, and I want to thank you, Alex, for coming on to the podcast for this uh, strategiccrisis.com discussion of the tragic events in Russia with the Polish president and 90 something odd other uh, people dying on this in this plane crash at, at Smolensk I want to thank you for being on the show thank you Jeff, thank you, yeah. Jeff. It's all thank you, Jeff. thank you.